Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Sicari. Good morning. Good morning. We're broadcasting today from the shores of Lake Erie near my hometown of Fredonia, New York. I had to go home for some family business and my childhood neighbor and lifelong friend, Michelle Twitchell, and her husband, Dr. Mark Twitchell, have been kind enough to let us use their home to broadcast today. We're a little bit late because we had some technical issues, but we're going to get right into it here. My name is Frank Sakari, and you're listening to Life Altering Event and the VoiceAmerica.com Empowerment Channel. This is our second episode of the new year, and all of us at Life Altering Events are excited about the shows that we have planned. We have several best-selling authors coming on, several women and men who have been through major life-altering events and are inspiring thousands of people. We also have organizations that are providing real opportunities for success for those in need. Now, we started this show five months ago, and today we have over 23,000 listeners in 16 countries. So thank you for listening, and keep listening, and tell all your friends. Now, since we started this show, people have often asked me, Frank, what exactly is a life-altering event? And I tell the same thing every week. A life-altering event is something we either choose or something that's thrust upon us that dramatically alters the trajectory of our lives. What a life-altering event presents us with, however, is a choice. We can choose to fall apart or we can choose to find the courage to pick up the pieces and continue moving forward. So as you listen to the show over the coming weeks and months and hopefully years, I encourage you to participate in an upcoming event. If you have something that's happened in your life, a life-altering event that will inspire others, go to the voiceamerica.com page, email the host, and send it to me. Let me share your story with the world. Today's life-altering event is dealing with women elevating women. Now, in many circles, 2020 is being called the Year of the Woman. Now, for those of you who have listened to the show in the past, you know that I raised two daughters as a single parent. Now, this was probably the most challenging yet most rewarding experience of my life, and they impacted me far more than I impacted them. What they taught me, however, was you have to learn to listen. Man, listen to this. We have to learn to listen. We have to understand that they don't expect us to stop to to fix everything, but to listen and validate their feelings. Now, if you're a type A personality like me, very difficult to do. It did, however, raising two daughters, help me become acutely aware of the obstacles that women face in many areas, be it in healthcare or career choices or job advancements or even funding a business. I learned that the deck is often stacked against women. Now, I want my daughters to have every opportunity to succeed and to be able to follow their hopes and dreams, and I know it's not going to be easy. Now, a few years ago, I did a project with civility in the workplace with Victoria Steele, and Victoria is now an Arizona state senator. And what we've, the data we put together was staggering because one would believe that things that are given are not given for women. Let me give you some examples. Women didn't get the right to vote until 1920. 
1920, that's 144 years after we became a nation. 1921, the Equal Rights Amendment was originally introduced into Congress. Today, 2020, still not ratified. 1963, the Equal Pay Act was passed. Women are still paid less. 1964, the the Civil Rights Act banning discrimination and harassment was passed. In 1972, Title IX of the Education Amendment Act was passed. It's still not fully implemented. And then in 2017, the Me Too movement exploded 53 years after we started mandatory compliance training, we have the Me Too movement occurring. 2019, we heard, was the year of the woman in politics. 127 women are in Congress now. In December 2019, Fortune magazine stated that 35 of the Fortune 500 CEOs are women. That's 7%. Now, these ratios leave much to be desired. Now, nothing has come easy, and women decided that they must take the issues into their own hands in order to receive the rights and the respect that they've earned and they deserve. But how are they going to do this? Then I met Susan Golden, and I discovered that this is the type of woman with the skills and the tenacity to help elevate the professional life of women. Let me tell you a little bit about Sue. She's a certified executive coach and facilitator, bringing 30-plus years of leadership experience in sales and marketing from her career working at both Nestle USA and the Mars Agency. She was a general manager of the independently owned Mars Agency, managing over $9 million portfolio and a team of 30 people. In her coaching life, Sue works with clients to help spot hidden opportunities and recognize blind spots and then connect the dots to accelerate their professional and personal growth. She believes that today employees and leaders need more than than skill assessment and self-awareness to navigate the challenges. And that's why she works with individuals to develop their adaptive thinking and social intelligence to grow and to thrive. Susan, welcome to Life Altering Events. Thank you, Frank. Um, excited to be here. And uh, just a few of the words you mentioned, choice and listen and listening from another person's shoes. Uh, I'm just going to say really resonated with me as a coach um, and certainly our areas I want to talk about today. Wonderful. Wonderful. Sue, you were, you had an extremely successful corporate career. I mean, you were, you were right there at the top. What life-altering event uh, led you to leave corporate America? Yeah. You know, and and, um, so I thought about this. I thought I might have two, Frank. Uh, And I I look at them and like the way you described them, I also think of them as pivot points, right? We all have pivot points in our life. And to your point, we have a choice of how we want to um, move forward. Uh, many times we can become busy, uh, but stagnant with our growth in our careers and our life. It certainly was a case with me, and, and I feel it's it's this way with a lot of women. You know, we're busy with our career. Many times, a primary family caregiver, um, aging parents, uh, and that was me. I was busy, but I wasn't challenged or fulfilled with my career. And I think that initial pivot point was my youngest daughter graduated from college, and my mom moving to hospice. Uh, it was clear to me that the way I defined myself was going to change and defining myself just as a general manager didn't feel fulfilling. Uh, 
I had a mentor, actually one of my original regional managers. Uh, we were at a dinner and he really challenged me. He said, you can't find what's next if you don't give yourself time to look. Uh, so I left knowing I had to really take that initiative uh, and really evaluate where where was I getting fulfillment in my life? I was currently co-chair of the Chicago region of Network of Executive Women and realized this is really where I was gaining energy, the mentoring and the supporting of other women's development and advancement. So I really tapped into my network, started to seek, meet, research different programs, and um, early in 2016 started um, a coach uh, training program through, um, through CTI. That's pivot point one. I think the bigger pivot point was really uh, when, I, when it was clear my mom had weeks to live, right, right before my mom passed away. And um, I was, as anyone would be, right, overwhelmed emotionally, uh, but also with what was on my plate. Um, you know, I had probably 50, 60-hour work week. Uh, I was finishing the second half of my certification program with coaching, Still co-chairing new, um, and I knew I was going to be the executor for my mom's estate. My mom, my dad had already passed away. And again, I was going to put the coaching on hold, right? It was safer and easier to just stay with my current career. But again, I had a mentor really step in and challenge me as to why would I put that on hold. Uh, so I took a leave of absence from my role as a general manager. And after two weeks, I knew it was time to take that leap. Probably the biggest risk I've ever taken in my life. I'm a planner, type A, as you said, uh, and I had no plan. I just knew I had a network from 30 years of my career, supportive family, community, and clarity that it was time to accept this challenge and make make the choice. Um, Calling my CEO and chairman was probably one of the toughest calls, uh, but again, they were supportive, encouraging, and kept the door open, which made it a little bit easier, <laughs> but I haven't turned back and uh, best risk I ever took. That's outstanding. I've, uh, I met Susan a couple of years ago in San Diego and I heard part of that story and, and it's, it's, it is so impressive that you just pick up the pieces and start moving forward and better times and better people will come into your life. And that's what I've been told. And that's what's happened with, with Susan Golden. Susan, I have uh, followed your workshops around the country, which are growing exponentially, by the way. Uh, Share with the listeners the the Golden Leadership Program. Give us an overview of what that is. Okay. Uh, First, I'm going to start with my my philosophy. I think learning is a journey, right? It's unique to each of us, uh, each individual, each organization. If you... You know, study any adult development, whether you're, you know, Keegan or Ken Wilbur, uh, there's there's stages of adult development, and we all get stuck in different stages, and, and many of us never grow to the next stage, uh, and each of these is a leap. It's, it's, uh, it's truly um, transformational, and that's really where coaching comes in. So the model I use, uh, and it's, again, unique to each person, but it's plan, engage, sustain. And if I look at plan, plan is really, uh, whether it's one-on-one coaching or a workshop, it's the initial step to understand what do we want to focus on. And as I start working with any individual organization, I start with 360 interviews, really speaking uh, to peers, direct reports, managers. I also bring in assessments. Um, whether it's Hogan, 
leadership circle core strengths, all of which I'm certified in, or DISC, Enneagram, I've debriefed those. And, and that brings a um, much more unbiased view in, in the coach's eyes. The whole goal of plan is what do we want to focus on, right? What's that next growth step or leadership competency we want to focus on? If I'm working with a group or an organization, we'll aggregate that up to really understand where the most important areas we want to focus. Engage is where the journey really takes off. And I feel any journey needs to have uh, one-on-one coaching as its foundation. Uh, It's the most important part to really work with each individual. And I always recommend at least six total coaching sessions. You know, we, we as humans don't change our habits quickly and, and our beliefs are even harder to change. <laughs> um, uh, but then from there, I, you know, I always recommend it. You know, do we kick it off with a workshop as you were talking about? You know, and the workshops are all structured around where those um, gaps for the team, the, the biggest leadership um, opportunities that we can focus on in the workshop. I also have a lot of workshops where we focus on how do we um, more effectively work as a team, recognizing how we're all motivated, how do we communicate better with each other, what are our strengths, where do we overdo those strengths, which we all do, not with not, you know with good intention, <laughs> but we trigger each other, and then how do we resolve conflict? Uh, so kickoff workshop is always a great way with the engagement with the foundation of one-on-one coaching. And then I'll bring group coaching in at times. Um, And that way we can really peel back some of those workshop um, competencies and work as smaller groups virtually, you know, five to eight people. Um, And then the last part is sustain, which is of equal importance. You know, we all jump into things and then we just get back to our old habits. Uh, So to sustain, I meet with that person one-on-one. We reflect on where the growth has been, and more importantly, how do we sustain it? What's next? And I bring the key stakeholder in with the coachee's permission, you know, that direct manager or that stakeholder, and, you know, we all talk together. What have we seen as far as the growth? And more importantly, how do we support? Is it, you know, ongoing feedback? You know, what is it that will really help support this growth? And if you have group coaching, it's a great way to sustain it. You know, those groups or mentor groups can continue and really be each other's accountability partners. The sustain is absolutely critical. Um, I have been through many in my career types of these events, and everybody's fired up uh, at at the time. And then you go back to your office and you have 700 emails and all these different (laughs) things. And it never seems to get, it just never happens. So no. what you're doing with sustain is so critical. Yeah. You know, the one thing I'll add there, too, is I think for everyone, and I say this to anyone I coach or work with, carve out a consistent time. And I've seen articles with Warren Buffett that says this. You can call it mindfulness. You can call it reflection time. It can be 15 minutes a week. Uh, but what that time really does is reground you back to what were some of those goals and what was the impact you know, did you fall off track, <laughs> you know, uh, but to reflect and that consistent time weekly uh, makes a big difference. We are up against a break here. This first segment went way too fast. We're here with Susan Golden on Life Altering Events. We're going to take a short break. Susan's going to come back and we're going to go into much more depth on how she, how she coaches and mentors women as they move into their leadership roles. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Sakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or you can send an email to Life Altering Events Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. You're listening to Life Altering Events. My name is Frank Zakari, and we have my guest, Susan Golden who is one of the movers and shakers in the women's movement. She is focused on programs where women are elevating women. She has a number of workshops and training programs to help women to define, find the holes and connect the dots and to progress forward in their both their personal and their professional lives. Susan, I've heard it said that you can't play the game if you don't know the rules. So talk about the most important concepts or, or competencies you teach women to understand and to master. Yeah. And I'll say, obviously, big, big, big focus of my work. Um, the one thing I say about the word teach, as I just heard you say that, is uh, coaching, and I always have this when I start with them, coaching is not about teaching, right? It's really about facilitating um, and empowering the other person to uh, determine what choice, as you said earlier. Uh, so there's certainly teaching and advising I might sometimes lean into, but just to clarify, coaching. Uh, where I focus, you know, and you had a lot of these statistics that you went through when we opened the show, um, but McKinsey just um, uh, had a study that came, I think it's a fifth year, 
um, that the study has come out. And um, what they really said is based on the five years of data from 590 companies employing more than 22 million people, two things are clear. First one's what you stated, right? Despite progress at senior levels, which there are some glimmers of hope, women remain significantly underrepresented. But where I focus the coaching and um, you know any of the advising would be a broken rung, which is really that step up to manager. It's the biggest obstacle that women face in the path to leadership. Uh, as individual contributors, women are pretty much on par. And companies many times have the policies in place to uh, focus at that entry level. Uh, it's really as women move into management that their careers derail um, versus their male counterparts. And um, a network of executive women and um, Center for Creative Leadership had done some research several years ago and really looked at what are the competencies that are, are critical and then also what are the derailers that, that may uh, impact women more than men. And the biggest focus areas of skill gaps were develops and empowers individuals, um, inspires commitment, political skill and career management, which can go hand in hand, strategic strategic planning, and then risk-taking and leading change. Uh, and if you look at the actual derailers, um, you know, development empowering individuals, uh, delegation and influencing are definitely areas that, that women can derail. Um, they really believe that they need to intimately know the business and they also don't want to burden their employees. So they may be head down and really hanging on to way too much and too much control. Um, if you look at any of Liz Wiseman's work, um, which is all about multipliers and diminishers, I use that a lot in coaching. We all have accidental diminishers. And where women may lean a lot might be that rescuer. It's with good intention, uh, but they're actually hurting themselves if they look at the impact because they can't look up and be more strategic um, and really be that visionary. And they also are really diminishing those they're working with from an accidental and good intention. Uh, also look at political savviness is a focus area and a true derailer for women. Uh, you know, it's, it's understanding um, the, the network they need, but more importantly, uh, really uh, that confidence and that belief that um, they're getting the credit and they're being heard and they're navigating. Uh, the other one is risk-taking. Uh, uh, women have much more of a derailer of being risk-averse, um, and, and that's just holding them back from actually letting go of some of the control. I'd say those are probably the biggest areas. One of the things that uh, helped me throughout my my corporate life was the the mentoring and the guidance that I received in the after hours. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a presence and I had an opportunity to be seen and heard. And back when I was going through this, there weren't a lot of women that were in this process. Yeah. And I understand now it's gotten worse. Um, how do you coach women in these areas, Susan? Yeah, and I also, it doesn't, does it have to be after hours, right? I don't know if this doesn't has to be after hours, right? right? No, but I know a lot of it is. And, and especially, right. I say that, since women are still generally the primary caretakers, right, or the caregivers. Uh, it's very true. Women aren't invited to these more casual conversations, and then their name may not be mentioned, right, for those executive roles because they're just not thought of. It's not always intentional. Uh, I say first, and, and there's certainly increase in this, get a sponsor, 
Now, um, really understand the need for a sponsor who does have a seat at the table who can bring your name up. Um, and secondly, assess your network. You know, we all have networks, uh, but how strategic are we about a network? You know, where are those relationships? Are they internal or are they external? And, and is there a balance, right? You know, are the relationships driven by friendship or more of a functional or technical need? And are they local, regional, or, or global? Uh, and then as after you look at that, then think about, is it a more transactional, surface-level, task-focused relationship, or is it um, one that has deeper trust or connection, and how mutual is that? You know, so we, we can all be strategic about our, our network. Um, secondly, um, create some of your own meetings. You don't always have to wait for someone else to create that meeting. Uh, many times there's that meeting before the meeting, and mm-hmm. again, women, because I, I think we're, we, we are more task-focused at time, and busy, right? Have a lot on our plates. Uh, You may miss the meeting before the meeting. You're not invited. So create your own meeting before the meeting so you're not missing out before you step into that meeting. Or or schedule coffee with someone. Uh, I think, you know, both of those are areas that I certainly coach people. Uh, The biggest area that's going to make a difference, though, is really bringing men in. you know, it's not about women or, or many organizations have these ERGs, right, or, or women mentoring circles. We're not going to make a lot of progress if we don't really um, have men as partners. Um, you know, balanced teams and, and customer bases are going to be the sign of a skilled 21st century manager. You know, measure balance, you know, as one of your management competencies. Uh, Jeff Halter um, who's a, a gender advocate um, and advisor, really talks about how do we shift men even from allies to advocates. And you know, through his research, 30% of the men want to get involved. They just don't know how. You know, and, and some of this comes back to there, there could be some fear, but they don't know how. And 50% would support. They're not for or against. Uh, there might be 20% that are a little more resistant uh, but but for the most part, um, you know, we could we could convert these advocates. Uh, the the barriers, foremost common barriers, and the two that I think women can be a, a part of in in really addressing are empathy and belief from a lot of men that things are not, you know, as you did with your daughters, right? How do you experience it from someone else's perspective and, and, and really allow someone to feel it from that way? And then apathy, really believing there's not an inequity here. Uh, accountability is the other one, and that's, you know, be accountable. What's a true leader, right? What should a leader be and, and what should organizations? And then there is fear also. Uh, but, but empathy and apathy are something um, in, in really seeking out those male advocates that I would certainly uh, recommend. I give a talk, Susan, um, a, f- a few weeks ago. And it was a, a predominantly woman-based uh, audience, and the the workshop speaker in San Diego had said to these to the women, "What's your number one greatest fear?" Mm-hmm. And I was I was I was shocked, Susan. the The answer they heard most often was, um, "I'm afraid that uh, people will find out that I'm a fraud." 
Mm-hmm. Now, these mm-hmm. are extremely successful people. These women are holding positions of authority, and they're very successful, and they're very accomplished, yet that fear still lingers. Confidence. How do you yeah. approach that? Oh, it's, you know, I think it's a big area. Uh, you know, when we talk about um, women claiming credit, right, or women being heard, uh, it's, there's you know, a book, The Confidence Code, uh, uh, it's really helping women, uh, helping women actually hear what's happening, right? What's present and in the moment, and acknowledging their successes. I mean, it sounds very basic, uh, but women will ruminate that that inner critic is so strong that they will just ruminate over what didn't work and never actually let themselves acknowledge what successes they have. So a lot of times I will even have them keep a journal, right? Where, where did you know, every week find a success uh, and let yourself actually be present and hear what people are saying versus listening to that inner critic in your head. Uh, but it's, you know, we could go through a lot of the topics you and I've talked about, Frank, whether mm-hmm. it's um, asking for a promotion yeah, women will not raise their hand until they know they're 90% that they've already able to do that job. Men could do 40% of that job, and they'll say, I can do it. Uh, so it's really pushing them out of that comfort zone. It comes back to being somewhat risk-averse also. Mm-hmm. One of the topics that it continues to, to amaze me is uh, uh, Inc. Magazine in, in uh, August of 2019 reported that women are still getting 85% for similar similar work and position. Mm-hmm. Now, we're in 2020. This is 2020, and we still have this gender pay gap. So how do, we, how do you advise women to, to get over that, to, 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 as we just got done saying? Yeah, yeah. You deserve this. Right. Yeah, it's and it's really the coaching comes in, right. They have to believe that, right? And and many times it's not until their career stagnates or somebody acts very surprised when they're given a, a big project that they may recognize I'm not really getting the recognition or the credit. Um, and this is where really a lot of women may drop out of the workforce, right? They're not feeling valued. Uh, you know, it, so in the coaching, it comes back to that fact and fiction, right? Actually having them say, okay, wait a minute, what, who actually, you know, led that work and how successful was that work? Uh, so again, it's really letting them see that because they have to believe that they deserve it um, before they're actually going to take the initiative. They also have to believe that just working really hard is not going to pay off because it doesn't always pay off. And there's times it might, but for the most part, they're not going to get the recognition if they don't ask for it. Uh, so in salary negotiation, you know, it's, it's really, you know, helping them understand that belief, right? First, that they, they have that tendency to underestimate their value. Um, and many of it is women have, have been socialized to avoid assertiveness, right? An essential mm-hmm. quality for successful negotiation. Uh, and, you know, go into it, quantify your accomplishments, right? You know, and and bring documentation. And I'd say this is good even if they're not negotiating because they're going to actually believe they should negotiate, right? But quantify right, those right. accomplishments, bring the documentation. And if you had some feedback, show that you listened, you know, where'd you improve? Uh, the other thing, even outside of the actual negotiation itself is, 
agreeable women are actually compensated less, right? There's this double bind that women get into. And we all know this, you know, you, you need to be assertive in order to negotiate. Uh, but then, um, you know, unlikable women right. <laughs> aren't like, you know, so it's this double bind, right? But I will say, stop apologizing. You know, we, we way too often are, are, we'll start that memo, we'll start that meeting, you know, if you have time, I'm sorry, stop apologizing. Um, practice being assertive. Practice being assertive where there's low stakes, uh, you know, and, and do it for a cause. You know, women can advocate if it's for someone else. So practice, recognize where you really can advocate well uh, and build those skills. Could be for someone else. Ask for feedback, too. Yeah, feedback is a, a gift. And um, the, the more specific, um, the, the more in the moment, uh, the more impactful the, the feedback will be. And then you can always determine what's that 2% of the feedback you really want to do something about. And I'm going to come back to your word again, Frank. And, and what's the choice you want to make from that, right? What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. But listen. That's <laughs> why so listen is important, too. Um, the other thing is transparency, and I'm not saying go ask all your friends what they're making. Certainly understand and know where your salary is at versus peers, um, versus your industry, and um, you know ha- have that nugget as well, and that could even be some incentive for you. I recently uh, listened to an article, Susan, by ABC's Sherry Preston. And her research showed, and, and this, this was a shocker, that there are more Fortune 500 CEOs named John <laughs> than all women CEOs combined. So how do you encourage women to not lose hope? Yeah. Yeah, and this is where, I think I said earlier, there are some nuggets. So coming out of you know the, the Women in the Workplace 2019 McKinsey research, uh, it's a bright spot. Representation of women in the C-suite is actually up 24%. Now, we had a low base, but it is up. Uh, and it's up due to uh, all of the work and policies and recruiting to bring women into these very visible spots. Uh, you know, there's also, I think it was Forbes' um, top uh Women and it talked about um, in some of the um, let me find the actual number the new class of CEOs um, female first uh, continue to make headlines in 2019 you know similar to what you said about Congress earlier um, leaders now dominate defense industry we have women at the helm of two of the largest stock exchanges leading within the pharmaceutical industry and the world's fourth largest drug maker and India's largest biopharma company. Small steps, but the glimmer of hope is at the top. Um, So it really is how do you take those practices and implement them outside of just the C-suite and your board where you have those very visible, um, you know, (laughs) measurements from the public. The, um, The other thing I was telling is look for the company. You know, look, you choose where you want to work. Because there are some really good companies out there, uh, you know, and, and these companies, um, uh, even Starbucks, what they've done, right? If you're going to bring mm-hmm. in diversity, do it the right way and really, truly, you know, yes, they made some mistakes, but they, they, they are trying to correct it. Um, MetLife 
you know, they've put a lot of programs in place for that pipeline. How do you really build that pipeline? Um, you know, career development programs for those high potential. And then also, what are you doing about unconscious bias, right? Are you um, bringing in these diverse candidate slates? We're using external recruiters, uh, but they've had a lot of success. So let's look at how are, how are these companies building the pipeline and what are they doing um, really for that unconscious bias? And also, what are they doing for the, the culture? You know, women, what they want through um, another piece of research from Network of Executive Women, they want to feel like they belong to the company. They want to have an opportunity to achieve long-term career goals. They want flexibility. They want to make sure it's safe and there's no favoritism. So how do you create that culture? And J.P. Morgan has done that. A lot of these companies where they've really said, how do we create a, uh, uh, that safe space as well as the flexibility? Uh, you know, a couple of these um, companies have actually, you know, if some, a woman comes back from maternity leave, if the baby is four months old, they work four-hour days and then five-hour days to really help them bridge that gap with flexibility. Uh you know, AB InBev also, you know, how do you build the, the DNI um, team, right? A lot of times I have one, you know, company I'll bring in someone. You, you head up diversity inclusion. Well, what's the actual investment that company is making and what's the real team they have? So look for that in the company as well as, um, you know, the culture. So that's really what I tell them. Where do you, where do you make the decision? I was um, meeting with a, a smaller regional bank, Susan, and they're floundering. And I was meeting with the CEO, and I was actually impressed that he said this. He said, you know, Frank, I think one of our biggest problems is when I look around the room in our management, all I see are old, fat, white, bald guys. Yeah. said, we all go to the same school, we go to the same church, belong to the same country club. It's no wonder we're not having any new ideas or any new innovation. And that diversity efforts ensure that all employees have access and, and information, as you mentioned. And, and women are, are more than 50% of the workforce. Why would you cut out 50% of your potential employees? It's you crazy. Have to, you have to believe, right, this comes back to like even building in balance as a core competency for management. You have to believe there's a business case. And there is, right? There's enough research out there that talks about balance, you know, in that diversity does you know, equate to better business results. Uh, but how do you shift that belief, I think, is still where we're, we're, we're struggling. Uh, but to your point, I just had something come over about a, a private board, smaller smaller boards, and that's really where it's, um, you know, a, a much more even abysmal picture. And I looked at the panel, and I believe this was actually even for a women's organization, that the whole panel of the board members, uh, four older white men. Oh. I saw that this morning. I thought, well, that's relevant to our discussion today. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of input on that one. Yeah. Uh, in that same interview with Sherry Preston, um, she said that there are 12.3 million women own businesses, and they generate $2 trillion, $2 trillion annually, and that 67% of the wealth is controlled by women, yet they're not getting the necessary respect. There's, well, you're just augmenting your household income or um, you, you or this is a hobby. This isn't real. Yeah. How do you address that, Susan? 
You know, it's, it's, you know what I would say um, when I coach them? I've got a couple different thoughts on this. But one, find your support network, right? Uh, there are so many wonderful women's organizations. And they, they include men, right? But they're, they're focused on, on their, their mission is women and, and diverse uh, advancement. And whether it's Network of Executive Women, where I've been very involved, um, NABO, uh, you know, there's, I, I look across Chicago and I probably got involved with 15 to 20. At least I met with them when I first, uh, um, you know, was transitioning careers. Find your support network and, um, you know, you're going to find many like-minded people, men and women. Um, and I think that's going to really... Uh, that's really what's going to give you the energy to say what I'm doing is, is right. Uh, you know, where you, where you see this gap, you know, following with what you said about Sherry, uh, as I said, I mean, the VC, uh, you look at the VC dollars, uh, I just, something else I saw this morning, 3% of the VC dollars in 2018 went to these women entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, two of the recommendations that came back from what I read was ditch the pitch. <laughs> Because <laughs> so much of this is about that that pitch up front, right? And um, women, and this comes back to some of the strategic and they're more operational minded, right? They will come in with the, the facts and the data. Men will come in with much more inspirational vision, but they may not even have the backing to to how they're going to get there. Ditch the pitch. Look at the numbers, you know. Uh, and if you're going to keep the pitch, eliminate cross-gender competition. You know, have maybe women compete or men compete, but, but eliminate that or ditch the pitch. Because there's definitely bias and there's a good old boys network. And if you want to feel good about yourself, find your own network. But more importantly, how do you get some of the funding there for them? Now, I'm a mentor with the University of California Entrepreneurship Academy, and they have a uh, a big bang competition and they have these companies basically putting this, they try to help companies put together a story so that they can go out and get funding. And you hit it right on the head. The winner of this was uh, Dr. Mar- uh, Maria Artuduaga, who has a, a, a product to deal with COPD. Mm-hmm. And when I started working with her, she would start off with the science, this, the science, the science, the science. And I kept telling her, Maria, that's wonderful. But nobody cares about the science. Then no one can question you on the science. You're the doctor. Tell the story. Get the emotion. Why is it important? And she said, well, I have to feel that I'm I'm believable. And I said, your credentials show that you're believable. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it comes back to even why do women get into the weeds with the work. They feel like they, they have to build this credibility. And I'm going to say I've done, I did the same thing at points in my career. Um, I have to be the expert before I can lead people. And um, it, it comes back to some of that confidence gap. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of that, I, I just saw something else I'd written down here is even um, this gender gap in self-promotion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 21% less likely, women are 21% less likely to use positive terms to frame their research findings than um, comparable articles published by men. And, and this is from, again, you know, science and different uh, journals. So following up what you just said. Now, that's very interesting because the it, it, it's 
it, it's always it's back to almost that apology thing, Susan. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm working on this, but you know, it could be right. It might be. It, it, it's it's crazy. Yeah. But we're making progress slowly but surely. Now, yeah. I've heard you say, and I think we've touched on this already, but many women they struggle with this personal brand. Mm-hmm. And when when you're telling somebody, because I had someone tell me, well, well, Frank, what exactly is a personal brand? What are you talking about? How how do you explain that to them? Yeah, well, I mean, the biggest I would say personal brand, right, is is uh, how do you want people to actually see you? Because we have that inner critic, right, that mm-hmm. is always diminishing um, our own belief in ourselves. And again, you can't stereotype this across everyone, but there's certainly many women I coach in this area. Uh, so it really is almost, um, in some ways, that that vision. How do you want people to see you, right? Let's let's stake a claim and actually have to say it, and and start to believe this about yourself. You know, to successfully manage your career. Uh, you know, what are those distinctive contributions you bring, right? People need to know what you stand for and the type of human you are and how to work and, and how to work well with you. Uh, so start with adjectives, right? You know, what are these adjectives? How would you define yourself? And, and a lot of this is to understand how do they bring their authentic self to work? You know, I'm amazed how many senior people, senior women, have the, the person A at home, well, that's how I act at home versus how I act at work. And again, I think part of this is assimilating to a culture that was established as a white men's culture, right? That doesn't always feel authentic and women try to fit themselves into that because that's what they view as successful. Um, so how do they really authentically Put these adjectives together, right? What would your friends say about you? You know, what do you, and then even vision some. What do you want to be famous for? Uh, and then think about what parts of this natural, authentic self do you bring to work, and what gets in the way. Uh, but it's more to say, really recognize that they might be looking at themselves very different than what they really want others to see them as. So you got to believe in yourself, and you got to authentically believe in yourself and bring yourself to work. Uh, but as I said a little earlier, you need to listen to what's happening and, and listen to reality and not that inner critic that continues to diminish that brand for you. Uh, Harvard Business Review has a, a podcast, Women at Work, that uh, I really um, I enjoy. I send it to some of my clients. But it talks about um, being heard, right? Because, again, there's all kinds of statistics. Women aren't heard the same as men. You know, the art of claiming uh, credit and um, even gaining some of that presence. And none of it is, is positioned from, um, from a point of view of how do you fit in, right? It's all you can authentically bring yourself. You know, the art of claiming credit is you don't have to brag if that doesn't feel right to you. But research and prepare. What is that meeting about? And what are two or three things that you can add to the conversation that you can prepare and will clearly show your involvement or your ownership? Uh, Also, speak up in the first third of that meeting. Exactly. It's easier for you, but you're also going to have much more presence than waiting till the end. So a lot of tips in there to say, how can I authentically start to really bring this brand you know, bring this brand very visible and, and, and do it in a way that feels okay to me. 
that one point you made, Susan, uh, speak early. Mm-hmm. I've heard come up um, more and, uh, and more on a regular basis. And some women executives have said to me, well, I thought I should listen first and gather the data and, and then draw a conclusion and then make a statement. Right. And one of the things that I said was, by that point, the decisions have already been made and <laughs> yeah. people have turned off their brain. So yeah. when you do say something, and it could be very profound, but if it's near the end of the meeting, everybody's looking at their watch or their, their watch, their uh, their phone and, and what's my Whatever. appointment. Yes. It's over. So you got to yeah. put it out there early and make it impactful. Yeah. Well, we are just about out of time. This this has Great. just been a t- tremendous uh, uh, discussion with Susan Golden on women elevating women. And she has touched base on a number of, of vital components and points for women to take charge of their life and to make choices in their life on where they want to be and how they want to be treated. So, Susan, thank you so much for spending this hour with us. Um, I appreciate you and your time. Thank you, Frank. Glad I could join and glad to share this. And uh, thank you for listening. And I'll say that for women, too, is how do you get more advocates just to listen also along with what you shared. Absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, ladies and gentlemen, we're just about out of time. And thank Susan one more time for her uh, life-altering events and her story. Remember this, folks. No matter what life throws at you, I want you to remember three things. Look up, get up, and never, ever give up. Pick up the pieces and start moving forward. Better times and better people will come into your life. If you want more information about Susan Golden, please send me an email at lifealteringevents.com, at the uh, voiceamerica.com, event page. Send me an email to the host, and I'll make sure that this gets to Susan. If you've missed this, any of this show or any of the other shows, it will be you can listen to them on demand. This show will be available on demand in about three or four hours. I will post it, and you can listen to it on any number of places, iTunes, Google, now iHeartRadio, and Alexa have picked up the show, and you can listen to it there. Let me leave you with this, as I do every week. The secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And today, Susan Golden showed us where a lot of those rocks are. Thank you for listening, and join us next week when we discuss another life-altering event. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Cup.